podcast we break things down to the very last compound my name is summit aka the potty mouth of the south and my name is chris mitchell aka the actual factual yeah man we're talking business today Hmm. we're talking we've got some business to deal with today business never personal yes business never unfinished business yes we are we look we're we're talking to a very very smart individual who's uh who's flipped some things filled some voids and has a lot of wisdom to to share um, we're talking about Philly's own Wes Pendleton, who has created, along with his friends, um, created a, a service that I think I would like to I'd go as far as to say a, a large chunk of our industry uses Soul Surplus. And this is samples and and, and royalty-free samples. Um, and what you hear in the interview is someone who has thought about this, strategized um, and created, you know, created a partnerships acquisitions with with bigger brands to to flip his business and and set people uh right and um i i really have really enjoyed his insights yeah man he's um, a he's a boss isn't it he's a boss he's a boss he moves like a did you see boss. his office setup bro it was like it yeah, was I mad, love it it was mad minimalist yeah and I, you know what i, I, like I think Ikea, like, bro. and i like that because i think as we grow older we become minimalistic we don't need as many things that's right and so his his journey from his journey into production is on the same thing he's streamlined and and been more efficient with what he needs to do because he knows what he needs to do yeah and i love to see businessmen from from coming from our communities do that well um and i said that to him off off air and i will say it again it's very very important because only then can we start to affect the changes that we want to see and people like him are so important to to the culture so mad respect to wes to, to for jumping on the show and and disseminating that information for us, bro. Man, listen, you, you, you're you killing these intros. I have nothing more to add. Okay, so this is Breaking Atoms. Where's Pendleton? Check it out. It's a special episode of the Breaking Atoms podcast. Today, we're taking it to Philadelphia to speak to a, a producer, a business owner, someone who can help us navigate through the murky grounds of samples and sample packs and making sure you don't get caught out here. We're talking to the one, the only, Wes Pendleton. Wes, how you doing? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate this. We appreciate you, a, a, a young businessman like yourself, who's just uh, gone through the the myriad of, of music and set himself up to do what you're doing is is incredible so congratulations um and we're, we're pleased to have you um here to to kind of disseminate the information to the masses so people can uh, be out here and learn from and be inspired from people like yourself so thank you for joining us i think let's um let's start with kind of your journey djing producing that transition there what 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 made you make that transition? Was it purely a, a challenge? Was it monetary? You know, was it just the fact that you just noticed as a DJ you had a really good ear for music, so you wanted to kind of like move into the direction of producing? Tell us about that that transition for you. Yeah, sure. I, and I could even go even further before DJing. I actually started out just as a playing musician. So I grew up playing drums, grew up playing keys, a little bit of bass, was really good at the trumpet from pretty much since I started playing the trumpet all the way through high school, I uh, had opportunities to go play college and or play trumpet in college, uh, which I was not interested in. And um, 
And while I was in college, uh, we had a lunchtime radio show, which was the thing that got me interested in DJing. And so, um, and it was not a, it was not really like a hip hop show, but I was the person that kind of introduced hip hop and into that. And so, yeah, I really started off DJing first. And then probably about a year later, I stumbled into production and then really realized pretty fast that I was making way more money producing than DJing. You know, DJing was kind of more for fun, but uh, producing was actually paying the bills. Okay. Okay. And uh, in terms of um, inspirations, being from Philadelphia, mm-hmm. dude, you got so much, you got so much to, you got so many mood boards to take from, from DJing to rappers to everything. Like, what was that like? That that kind of mix, that melting pot of, of hip hop in Philly is crazy. How did that impact you? And how did you learn from that? Sure. So I had the, uh, the, the, the great pleasure of being entered, uh, basically entering to the space right at the same time as the Soulquarians were running radio. And so, you know, if you guys are familiar with my production now, you could still hear that influence like, like all the way into now. And so being from Philadelphia, it is uh, what a lot of musicians call the gym. So musicians come to Philly to cut their teeth and to really learn the ropes of either being a really great instrument, instrumentalist or producer. And then they, then they leave and they go to LA and they go to New York and stuff like that. But, uh, but I mean, you want to talk about just, there's there's so many just just musicians in general. There's, it's a ridiculous amount of musicians in Philadelphia. So um, you really can't call yourself a musician here unless you're actually really good, you know. So and I never really considered myself the greatest musician. I never really practiced that much. Uh, but but music production, I put in my ten thousand hours plus in that for sure. So, so for Philly's like the the place where you just you know start bench pressing like 110, you know 200, and then you start crossfitting in LA, <laughs> and you know you do you know do that. It's a bit like that. You you Philly's like that, and, it, and yeah. it's good because it's um it, it pushes artists or from from all from all bounds, like not just rappers but musicians too. It pushes you to to be better. Sure. No, I, I love that. I love that. Thank you. All gyms have equipment though, so tell us about your equipment setup when you first started producing, and compare it to what you're using now has there been much change are you one of those techie guys paint that picture for us yeah sure so when i first started i actually used the communications department at my college so i had no equipment at the house um but very quickly turned into one of those guys that figured out how to use what i had so i was one of the few guys my age that had a macintosh like now everybody has macs now but this is back in like, you know, 2000, 2001, and people didn't have, you know, G4s and G5s at their house. So my, my pop looked out for me. Um, I was in school for graphic design, so I also needed it for that. So my pop took me to the store and got me a brand new G4. And from there, I just basically grabbed the most basic interface that I could find. I think it was like an M Audio USB interface. And, and I had a couple of keyboards, like, you know, real keyboards, but I had a couple of MIDI keyboards as well. And that was pretty much it. And I think I had like a, a bass guitar as well, but that was pretty much it in the beginning. And then uh, over the years, as it really turned into a true profession, then I started spending hundreds and thousands of dollars um, upgrading the equipment, you know, treating my room, getting better turntables, spending way too much money on vinyl. Um, you know, the, the typical journey that we all do, you know, mad controllers. Um, and then I, I got to like 2000, 
16 and I was like, yo, I definitely don't need any of this and completely downsized. And so now I have nothing. I literally have a, so I want you to understand, I, I, I built the company that builds samples. So I don't need to play anything ever again. I literally can take the things that the guys create and manipulate it in my own way, just through a straight up keyboard, you know, like a typing keyboard um, and do it that way. So yeah, in my office right now, I have an interface and that's it. And, and, and monitors and that's it. It's really just a, a plain office. It's not even a studio. I like the flex. I don't need equipment. I have a company that creates samples for me and I can manipulate them any way I want. I love it. So Wes Pendleton, you're the producer now. How did you get your name out in terms of your production? Did you link up with local artists? Like, were you taken seriously at first? Like, how, how did that happen? Yeah, so I lucked up in that I ran into an old friend who was actually in a rap group in the, in the area that had gotten some buzz. So I lucked out in the fact that I was able to, I was like, listen, man, I make beats and would love for you to come over and listen to him. And he came over more as a friend and then kind of towards the end or what he thought was going to be the end of the visit kind of gave me a courtesy. Oh yeah, man. You know, like let's listen to the beats, you know, because people have been sending him beats and stuff all the time. Uh, and so uh, he heard the first beat and was very, very much caught off guard Um uh, by, by, by how well I had done with that. And then after that, like the rest is history, you know what I'm saying? So, um, I had the, uh, I had, um, the pleasure of being able to also be a graphic designer as well. So being able to promote and to really, you know, create a beat tape and, and put it out there and it, it just looked nice, you know, in comparison to maybe like a lot of other people who didn't necessarily have the, the, uh, branding or marketing skills, uh, to put out something like that. So that's that's pretty much how it started. So not only were you able to to create the sound, you also created the visuals behind it. Because I can imagine, you know, even just looking at your, your office now, just everything I've seen, actually, when I think about it from the love cover, nebulous, there's a there's a distinct visual identity. And I, I didn't know that you were the one doing the artwork. I didn't know. Yeah, that, like anything you've seen come from me, 99% of the times I did the art. And all and, and and all of the visuals, if there was even video or anything else as well, I might have some. I might have some work for you. So, <laughs> before you did your subtle flex, and you have a, uh, you know, you don't need any more um, equipment and so forth. Before that, how did you go about looking for samples to use in your in your beats? Yeah, just the same way that everybody else does. Go to the, go to the local uh, vinyl store. Try not to spend four hundred dollars on vinyl. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So try to dig through the dollar bin, try to find really, really, really hard to find uh, records and, and, you know, stuff that I hadn't heard, which, you know, over time became even more difficult to do, you know, so you end up just spending money on records just to have in your collection, you know, um, but that's, that's pretty much, I was just a traditionalist in the sense of finding samples on vinyl, pretty much. Did you have a list? When you were going to dig in, did you have a list? Not really. So the piece of paper. No, I didn't. So I was I was definitely the guy that went in and you know, because I'm a because I'm a graphic designer by heart, I'm looking at album covers primarily to kind of guide me in specific sections. So, you know, you pick something up and you look at the label and it's just like this artwork is kind of fire. I think I'm gonna go ahead and buy this one. Cause it's probably something fire in this. And uh you'd be surprised. It was actually you hit pretty 
a, a pretty high rate we're finding good samples that way it's quite it's a quality right it's a quality thing so you think they've put the effort into yep. the into the album cover um were there any particular labels that you always looked for when you were digging to kind of get the same thing nah i was like literally not i went in completely blind didn't go in with any bias um now obviously like i'm from philly and so you know you know anything coming from uh you know uh philly international i mean i I definitely had a bias to that but but even with that like i know i couldn't sample that stuff because everybody knows those records you know what i'm saying (laughs) so so i tried to stay away from those and it it really was trying to find diamonds in the rough for me uh personally that's 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 interesting i i like that because i've been in many stores digging for records just for fun not to sample but you'd always see you always see those frantic people looking for like they got their piece of paper crumpled up that's been there for years in their pocket i ain't got this and mm-hmm. obviously now it's the phone um so it's just interesting that you went with um when you went with the album album covers and i think that's quite important to to stress because a lot of people now in the age we're living in now you know you're you're going to be grabbed your your attention is going to be grabbed by a great album cover right yeah. chris and and dave uh, imperial did a, a great album cover which stood out in the kind of shop window right yeah. so adventures and technical this is very important that you know that it's really interesting you went that way but talk to us about um soul surplus and and why you started it <laughs> what was the void that you saw at that time <laughs> And you want, I want to, I want to fill that void. I want to fill that pain point. Yeah, sure. Uh, so that void was actually created because I had a void in my pockets because, uh, <laughs> I had a, uh, I had a track that we were about to land for very big placement and we could not clear the sample. And so I lost out on about 60 to 70 grand from not being able to clear that sample. And I, and, and after that, I was like, I can't be the only person that's going through this. And so because I had been such a traditionalist with digging for samples and and actually just lifting stuff off of vinyl, I had no idea that the sample pack world existed like at all, which is really weird because I'm I'm on the internet, you know, 24 seven, but for whatever reason, I just never ventured into those worlds. So I knew about places like Loop Masters and, and stuff like that, but I didn't I never was like a big frequenter of, of places like that. You know, if I went there, it was for like sound effects or something like that. Um, but I had no idea that this world existed. And so, you know, after about two or three weeks of research and, and talking to one of my really good friends, Dan Steele, I was like, I'm pretty sure I can get together with my, who ended up being my two business partners, uh, John and Joel McNeil, pretty sure we can get together and basically create what these are, which is basically just, compositional tracks uh full length mini songs and uh emulating the sound that that i love and so i think one of the main reasons why soul surplus was so successful was because i was very adamant at the very beginning to get the sound and the eq and the compression and the levels to basically match what i would hear that was coming off of vinyl um and so without necessarily like overproducing from like a plug-in standpoint and stuff like that you know we were very very intentional so uh, but that yeah that's how it came about it really came out from a standpoint of like fulfilling a need for guys like me who were trying to avoid red tape as much as possible and um you know and just basically maximizing revenues on the back end you know think about just blaze and and the uh and the breathe sample and how you know they like 100 percent publishing you know uh goes to uh what was that super super um 
Super Tramp. Super Tramp, yeah. You know, so, yeah. you know, that's, you hear stories like that. And it's just like, well, what if I could create a brief sample and the producer gets to keep 100% of their revenue? And that's what I did. Okay. Amazing. All right. I feel sick though. 60 to 70 grand. You must, you must like, okay, be honest, be honest, be honest, Wes. When you got the news that we can't clear the sample, what went through your mind? Was it like, damn, or were you angry? And did you throw your equipment out the window? <laughs> actually, the first thought was actually not that. My first thought was, oh, well, we, we'll just replay it. And then they hit us back and we're like, you can't replay it because that's interpolation. And so if, if you're interpolating a sample, you still have to get clearance. And these people were not, they were like, basically they said, if we hear this song and you've interpolated it, we're going to sue you. Oof. Is that how they move? Yeah. I mean, rightfully so. They, they own the record. Like it's, they say, it's they yeah, say, yeah. I, I'm not, I wasn't even mad at them. Like, you know, that's, that's, that's something that they created. They have the rights to be able to use their property, the whatever way they see fit. And if they didn't want us to use it, that's their prerogative, man. You know? But that's the first time I've actually heard of that scenario. Like, no, you can't even play it. And if we hear you using it, we're coming for you. That's the first. I didn't know that it could even go that far. I wasn't aware. Well, it was because the placement was that big that somebody would have heard the song in that placement from that gotcha. camp. Okay. So they okay. basically they basically were like, don't replay it either. Like, because we will, we will know. And basically what we would be doing is stealing you know, chord progressions in essence, you know. Mm, got you, got you. So I'm a new producer, not literally. I'm just, I'm just painting the picture for you. I'm a new producer. I'm a traditionalist like, like you are. I sign up to, I sign up to Splice or sorry, I sign up to Soul Surplus. What are the benefits for me as a producer? And, you know, talk about the sign up process and what I can expect from your service as a, a fledgling producer. Mm hmm. Yeah, so the first thing would be that we're royalty-free. So basically all of the red tape is completely gone after purchase. And that was very intentional because when we created Soul Surplus, we were intentional about scale as opposed to placements. Um, so what we felt like was it made more sense. Well, let me let me finish finish this thought first. So, so uh, yeah, so there's no red tape. You don't have to worry about that. It's royalty-free, so you're good on that end. Um, and um, you're going to get, basically, in my opinion, the best soul samples and loops that is out on the market, which was the thing that we were primarily focused on, was to be the best. Um, and so fast forward to now, there's everybody's doing samples. But when we first started, there weren't that many people on the market just yet. You know, it was like Frank Dukes and, um, you know, uh, my guys at uh, MSX, Dan and, and, and Mike, Sim Mike Simpson. Um, and like, that was pretty much it, you know, and Sample Magic too. They did really great soul samples. But the way that we did it did not exist uh, before Soul Surplus. So, yep. Okay. So I know you might not be able to, talk about certain people but who were some of your biggest and most popular clients um man and then see this is the producer in me not one to blow people's spot up you know because producers okay. are very you don't have uh, to. 
Yeah, but I will I will say this. I, I will throw one name out. Um, and this is the first time I'm actually saying this publicly. But uh, Mad Lib pretty much bought like 95% of our sample packs. Yeah. Not surprising too, because he likes to experiment with all kinds of different sounds. He likes to, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So as a matter of fact, if you actually listen to the last album that came out, the first track, that's a Soul Surplus sample. Wow. The, the very first track. You're talking about the Sound Ancestors? Yes. Mercy to Jesus. Is that how you're moving? Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. You, re- you, really found, you really found that void and filled it in. That's amazing, bro. That's a brilliant. That's brilliant. Congrats. Thanks, Rose. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that, that's, people really should understand like the, also the amount of work that goes into creating those samples too. Mm-hmm. So the team you have, the, all of you guys as, as business owners, uh, for you being in music too and being a producer, the work that goes into creating a sample isn't as easy as people think it is. It's not. And so that has to be applauded too. That That's a lot of work and, and it must be very difficult, not difficult, but it must be a challenge of some sort to, be able to create or think about different samples and create them for different scenarios without realizing what people will use them for. Mm-hmm. In essence, you're creating something out there and hoping someone might use it for a TV show and this. And so it's very difficult. A lot of producers, sometimes they produce differently. They produce on moods, but they also think about an artist in mind. Sample, you're creating samples and you're creating a plethora of them for different scenarios. That's a different process. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if, if we can talk about, not to give up too much of the source, but how one would think about creating different samples for different scenarios mm-hmm. for TV show for a producer. What what go what goes through the mind to do that? Is it just creating samples and then figuring out which one which goes where, or are you creating them with with a scenario in mind? Yeah. So basically, my role ended up basically becoming just in your most traditional sense of a music supervisor. So if you think about the world of like production music. There's a there's a music supervisor that knows exactly where the needs are for specific you know producers for television or film or whatever, and so what I was doing was basically scouring the internet to find where the gaps were at, and so what we did was for the first year we tried to fill all of the gaps, and that was for two reasons obviously just to fill the gap and to do something different, but to also build the foundation for what we would actually offer holistically as a company. So that was like the main purpose for doing that. It was very intentional. And then once we got into the second year, we changed it up and actually started making what, what we consider now as sample packs. So the first year of Soul Surplus, it was all compositions. So basically what we were creating were mini albums. So just a full song, you get all of the stems. There were no loops. It was just just a song. Um, and basically the whole the whole point with that was what I was saying was, I want you to sample like how I sample, right? So I don't get any pre-made loops. What I had to do was listen through to listen through a song, find a piece that I want and extrapolate that section for myself. So that's, that's what the first year was. Well, you get into the second year and then you realize, you take a survey of the landscape of producers and realize that producers are, um, trying to be nice, Producers over time have become. Um, I think I know what you want to say. Yeah, they they they're trying they, to streamline their processes. Yeah, they're trying to be more efficient with with their process. Exactly, and they and they don't take risks at all. Like they just yeah. don't. Yeah. 
And so we had a dilemma where it was like, so what are we going to do with this business? Because our revenues are growing exponentially at rates that I don't think any of us had in, had envisioned for it to be that fast. You know, we had kind of like a five-year plan and stuff was happening in, in like the first eight months of us starting the company. So, um, so I said, I think going into the second year, I think we should create sample packs, which is us taking our compositions, condensing them down into these little bite-sized nuggets, four or eight bar loops, and presenting it that way and seeing what the market, how the market responds. And boy, will I tell you, did the market respond in a very, very loud and major way. So as a business owner, you know, I'm, I'm at that age, I'm, I'm 40 guys. I'm not a young, young guy anymore. I'm not interested in being cool. I'm not interested in doing anything for like the sake of the culture or any of that stuff. Like I have that as an artist, but as a businessman, I don't, I don't really have that as much. So for the sake of the culture, what I'll do is I'll give you the best sounds that you can find. Right. But as far as like turning it into this thing where it's just like, well, you know, it's cheating because basically you're just creating a, a, the loop for the producer. I, I don't care. <laughs> no, no, and you shouldn't. And you shouldn't. You, you're, things have to evolve, right? Exactly. And, and, and really it's about the output. Mm-hmm. Does, does the samples that you're creating that producers use or TV shows use or any of your clients use, does it enhance or does it make anything worse? Does it bang it like enhances, the finished product? That's all that matters. Yeah, that's all that matters. I think everyone, we get too, sometimes we get too wound up in how things used to be, mm-hmm. but not realizing that things have to evolve to get even better. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, no, good. On, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Um, talk to us about the um, Splice acquisition. How did that come about? Yeah, so basically, uh, probably two years before the acquisition, we landed on the platform as a third-party inv- third party vendor and um, had really great conversations with uh, my man, uh, Dan Zaccanino, who is now actually the vice president of, of like the, the core business as a whole for Splice. He's probably my favorite person there um, to be able to have a conversation with somebody who's already gone through what you've gone through because he actually built... Um, uh, this music library called Indaba. So they were the ones that created the Converse music library. Have you guys heard that library? So I've not heard it. Yeah, so you should check it out. It's, it's really dope. So his company created that. And so he basically had already went through this process with Splice himself. So I, I knew I had somebody that understood where I was at. And so basically the, the conversation was, you know, I'd like to see how well we do on a platform like this because to be honest with you, I'm not the type of producer that uses platforms like Splice. And I still don't, even till today. Like that's not that's not how I produce, right? Um, but that first year, um, Splice helped our revenues increase by like 370 some percent from the year before. Um, and that was on third-party vendor, tip with no backing. I was doing all of the marketing um, as far as that went. And so going into the second year, which was 2019, then we started having the conversation about, you know, Hey man, you know, what would it look like for us to join forces, you know, officially and make this official. And so, um, so we, at the end, towards the end of 2019, we, we talked it out and mind you, this is after probably the hardest summer that we ever had 
as business owners. That summer, 2019 summer is the worst summer ever in my life. I will take that to the grave. It was, it was horrible. Like that, that thing tested my, my limits as a business owner straight up. Like I almost had to fire everybody, you know? Wow. Not because they were bad, but because like financially Mm. we, you know, so I had, I had like spent all this money and we were able to get, you know, these really exorbitant lines of credit, you know, to, to be able to expand the company. So we bought on four employees and, uh, and then we had this one week where everything kind of just all came to a head and which led to a pretty crazy summer. But anyway, I digress. So we have these, we have these conversations and, uh, and we, 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 we go up to splice and, I love everybody there. It's a great company. The CEO, Steve, he's, he's, he's awesome. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was pretty much just like, you know, we went up, we spent it, we spent a couple, we went up a couple of times, but we spent a, a couple of days up there. They made us an offer and, uh, you know, we had already did some, some number crunching before we went up there anyway. And the number was dead on from the numbers that we had generated on our side. So, um, so yeah, it was a done deal pretty much that day. And then we went through the whole process of, you know, our lawyer talking to their lawyer team, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, handling all the due diligence stuff. And then, um, literally this month, last year, man, we signed the paperwork and, uh, and, uh, Splice, uh, took the, basically took the business off my hands, you know? Congratulations, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. Congratulations. Cause you know what it's, um, I'm listening to some of the, uh, the new beats coming into my inbox and some of the stuff I've done recently. And I'm pretty sure these are soul surplus bits and pieces and they sound, they're sounding good. They're sounding good. A few weeks ago, there was this massive debate online about sampling. So I think someone released this video and they had the original songs that had been sampled from Timberland. So a lot of the, the, the Arabic sounds that he was, mm-hmm. he was using for a bit. And there was this whole debate about the validity of sampling and hip hop producers, I think caught the brunt of it. As someone who is a traditionalist and loves samples and then went on to create their own samples. Do you think, okay, two, it's a two part question. One, do you think hip hop is unfairly scrutinized business-wise in terms of the sampling? And two, do you think hip-hop could ever get to a place where it could exist without samples? No, never. It's, it's, it's birthed out of sampling, you know? It's, it's too important. It's too much of an important part of the foundation of the culture to ever walk away from that. So the cultural importance of, of sampling is really comes down to the fact that that black producers did not grow up playing instruments because they could not afford instruments. So the easiest way to figure out a way to make a melody is to lift that melody from somewhere else, mainly because society kind of forced us to kind of go into that direction, you know? And so what ends up happening is you have a brand new art form that is completely, first of all, number one, don't ever believe that hip hop is the main driver of the sample industry because that is a lie. Trust me. EDM, electronic music, by 10 miles, spends way more money on samples than hip hop. It's not even close. So, um, so 
what I think, what I think a lot of times, and I'm not one of these guys that goes to this, what I think a lot of times is when they try to discredit sampling, it's, it's, it's a thinly veiled form of prejudice and, um, and basically is a, as a, as a way to try to discredit the people who have been pioneers in building up this thing, which basically is the cultural backbone of the whole entire world. And so because they don't want to admit that, um, what they do is they try to knock it down a few pegs every now and again to basically make it seem like, you know, it's, it's not this, it's not that. However, if you guys have been really paying attention, if you really listen to for the last 10 years, most of the top 10 records, top 100 billboard records, don't really have that much samples in it from the hip hop standpoint, which is a lot of reason why the South really took over because those guys didn't sample a lot. They really used a lot of keyboard sounds and 808s and stuff like that. Um, and that was really smart on their, on their side because those producers made way more money than Northeast producers and West Coast producers. But even like Dre was smart enough to even understand, yo, I gotta stop sampling. I gotta just pay musicians to play this stuff for me, right? Um, so it really came down to a money thing, in my opinion, why it switched over from there not being as much sampling because as hip hop started to really be the main driving force of culture, the people who didn't care for sampling now all of a sudden realized that they were losing out on hundreds of millions of dollars by not clearing, by not allowing their sample to be cleared to collect on the back end. Um, and now we're back at a place where streaming has a cut, cut a lot of that bottom line out. So now we're, now we're back again to attacking hip hop because Spotify pays you pennies on the dollar, title pays you pennies on the dollar, um, actually quarters of a penny on a dollar for real, for real, we're keeping it funky. Um, and so now because people aren't making money through sampling anymore, now it's a problem again. However, to, to button this up, then you got guys like me who come out of the woodwork and say, cool, y'all want to act funny by not letting dudes clear samples? I'll just create the samples and make it royalty free. That's why people okay. are mad. All right. It's funny you mentioned about other genres. I was watching this video um, on YouTube a few months ago and it was talking about um, original songs and the samples they use. I had no idea that Moby used so many mm. samples. I was sat there like, yo. Like, and he uses old gospel records, like clips from films. I'm like, yo, Moby's moving mad. I didn't know. I thought it was, you know, this is probably testament to, um, you know, my lack of knowledge on other genres, but I thought it was just hip hop music using all the samples. Electronic music was going mad and I didn't, I didn't know. You, that's what they want us to think though, that's, right? That's kind of the, that's, that's the purpose. Like, so again, going back to it being a thinly veiled version of bigotry, not bigotry, but you know, prejudice and, and bias is thinking that a black musician is lesser lesser than mm. because he samples meanwhile if a white producer samples he's being he's being a genius and he's like creating something from all these different spaces so it's just like so how is one a genius and one one isn't you know um and that's just the world that we live in unfortunately you know Sadly, it is. It is everything. Everything, even though that black culture is kind of created and birthed most of the, all if not all, the genres inspired them. Yeah, they're they're the reason why sampling is bad. Yeah. Yep. It's, and I and it's, I, it's a it's an awful. And if even if you look at like the the traditional purest hip hop landscape right now, guys from over the pond, like guys from your from your neck of the woods, guys from Europe, they're killing the purest hip hop 
you know, movement right now because, and, and those guys, much credit to them, admit that they would not be where they are without black music. You know what I mean? And so, you know, for mm -hmm. them being able to dominate in the way they are, I, I tip my hats to them for, for staying true to the thing that got them, you know, to the place that they are. And I definitely, especially tip my hat to them for admitting and acknowledging the fact of where really where a lot of their inspiration has come from for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This has been a very good conversation with, I really appreciate your, your wisdom and insight. And the flexes, um, the flexes have been subtle but they've they've um they've been targeted and i appreciate it <laughs> but they're, they're real and, and genuinely really really appreciate your your insight because it's very important for people to hear from those who are who are in it mm -hmm. you're you're there you're you know you're you're a business owner you've you've you filled a void you're you're doing well acquisitions mergers kpis return on investment these are all things that people need to hear about and understand that even in, in the world we're living at the moment there's money to be made if you've got the right product Mm -hmm. or if you've got the, I guess the, the right value proposition, mm -hmm. and and for what you guys have done, absolutely. So, tip our hats off to you too. And I appreciate you for joining us as well. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Big thanks to Wes once again. You know that that piece towards the end of the interview where he was talking about how you're going to affect change. We talk about Black Lives Matter. And, yeah, he went. He left Earth. He left Earth how are we really affecting change? And I think that's really important because he's he's using not just his influence, but his his IP, the thing that makes him very, very dope and used it to go, right, how do I put these people in positions of yeah. power? How do I put them in places where they can now thrive? Mm -hmm. And I love people like that because they're not doing it just for themselves. Mm -hmm. They're doing it to help people. And, and there's an inherent, hey, man, I'm doing this for the culture right. and I'm filling this void, but actually I want to make sure the, these people are good because now they can go on and, and, and even be greater. So, the words and the um, actions match. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I love that. Where's, man, what a dope guy. Yeah. What a you dope should, um, guy. I'm going to send you some stuff, some of his recent stuff. Please, I think, I think you, I think you like it, and it's very, um, it's very atmospheric and very calm. It helps me to sleep respectfully. Right, 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 respectfully. right, 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 right. No, no, it's not, it's not that kind of a yoga mat weekend. No, 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 music. no, no, no. It's not is, that. It's not but, that. But this is in, this is intentional though. This is also intentional. This is calming music. This isn't just. It's not boring music. It's music to. It's a, it's a experience. Yeah, that's of course. What he's creating, so that's important. Definitely. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. I'm with it. Soul surplus. Check it out if you haven't already. Episode um, notes and that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll put it in the notes and that the notes and that hyperlink and that. But you know, we we have a lot of people who are producers, and we have a lot of artists and and and, and budding producers who listen to the show from across the world. So make sure you make sure you tap in. Madlib is already on the tap in. So he, you know, he tapped in. He tapped he, in. He boy. tapped in, bro. He tapped yes, in. Yes, bro. Do you reckon he paid for it on a contactless? No, no, no. He's from. He's a, he's not from yeah, Earth, yeah. so he probably paid it from a different currency. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Madlib, I don't, Madlib, imagine. Sorry. I don't think he has a bank card. You know, I don't. I, does Madlib have a bank card? Madlib, uh, Madlib makes money. He just makes money. That's what he does. He just makes money. He's a, he's a money-making machine. That's what he does. Um, but no, peace to, to Wes. You can find us on social. I'm not going to say F the socials this time. You can find us on social at Break the Atoms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Chris's personal is I am Kinetic. Mine's is at Hip Hop Chronicle. Appreciate all the listeners from across the world. Keep tapping in. Shout out to Uganda. Shout out to Uganda. Ah, also, we're also on Pandora now so from people in the states yeah. you can find us on pandora um 
chatting to Pandora yeah. about boxing a man for it. Sorry, yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah. So you, you have no excuses now. Amazon, Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Stitcher, Pandora. We are everywhere. You were never there. Audiomack too. So shout out to all the services that uh, carry Breaking Atoms. We'll be back with another episode. Until next week, peace. Peace. Peace.